Like my mom used to say, whenever things happen, son, don't run from Christ. You run to Christ. If I stand before Christ, I, I, I stand before him and say, hey, I don't deserve what you did for me. I don't deserve it at all. But I'm not going to turn my back on that gift because I'm going to I'm going to hold on to it because it has saved me. Welcome to the Jesus Calling Podcast. Today's guests have overcome great odds to serve others and lift up those who have given their lives to service. U.S. Army veteran and Dragon Boat Racing champion Jess Key and country and gospel music legend Jimmy Fortune. First up, Jimmy Fortune grew up in a musical family and played gospel from a very young age. Shortly after college, Jimmy auditioned to become part of the world-famous country group, the Statler Brothers. Through that group and his own solo career, Jimmy has been honored to use his music and his notoriety to share his faith and to bring attention to the specific needs of others. With his new album, God and Country, Jimmy celebrates the beauty of America and those who have made it free. I am Jimmy Fortune, and I am an entertainer, singer, songwriter. I uh, have been doing this for a long time. I was with a group called the Statler Brothers for about 21 years and of my career, and they retired in 2002. When they retired, I uh, assumed a solo career, and I've been in a solo career now for about 17 years. I grew up in uh, Nelson County, Virginia. I was born in Williamsburg, Virginia in, in 1955. And uh, then we moved to Nelson County, and if you, whenever I tell people about where I grew up, um, if you ever saw the Walton's TV show, you pretty much saw how I grew up. And uh, my family sang, all my, it was, I'm number seven of nine children. Daddy played mandolin, mama sang some, and um, she got us all to singing in church as a young age. And then um, as uh, time went on, I got a guitar, a real guitar, when I was 12 years old. and. Uh, I started playing that guitar and I told my daddy I was going to make a living at this if I could, you know, and he thought I was crazy. He said, I don't think you can make a living playing a guitar. He said, why do you think they call it playing? And, but I, I didn't, I just didn't listen to what he said. I just kept, kept on doing what I did. And I felt like, uh, even at a young age, I felt a calling on my life to, uh, to, uh, sing and, uh, to, uh, to, to play my music. Mama was a prayer warrior, and she uh, thought that prayer and uh, devotionals to your Bible uh, uh, and going to church was very important. And my father was—he uh, wasn't saved until uh, about 1967, when I was 12 years old. But before that, he was an alcoholic, and he—you um, know—he was a kind of a worldly, really worldly guy. And, and my mother prayed for him so much. I remember her praying, praying, praying for him, and. He got down to about the end of his life. I mean, he, he was at the end of everything, end of his rope, you might say. Uh, he'd almost lost everything, including his family. And, and then one day uh, he went to my mom, and long story short, and he said, you know, I've tried everything, but I haven't really tried God, and I haven't given him my life. And he went that day, uh, that evening, and we saw my daddy go up and give his life to the Lord, and my mama's prayers were answered. And she said it was worth every prayer that he did give his life to the Lord and, and that he quit drinking. And my daddy actually went from me not even wanting him to come home sometimes because I knew he'd be drunk and it'd be chaos at home when he came home. Uh, I didn't even care if he came home or not. It went from that to him being my hero and uh, doing things in life that uh, the, real, 
the real person that my daddy was came to the forefront when he let God have his life. And uh, so even though my mama was a prayer warrior and she was a saint in my mind, she would always say, no, I'm not the real saint. Your daddy's the saint because he had all those things that he had to give up that he that he wanted to give up to to follow Christ. And he did that. So she said, your daddy is the real saint in this family. So uh, I saw what God could do through my father and and through my mother. And so whenever I got into situations in my life where I got down and and, and needed Christ, uh, I saw where my daddy turned to and I did the same thing and uh, eventually uh, led me out into uh, uh, the clubs and things like that around Virginia. And I started doing cover music and I look back on it. I see where I was guided. There was something guiding me into places that I would go and I didn't know how I got there or why I was going there. Just like going to audition for the Statler Brothers. I thought, well, what, you know, why am I going to, to audition for this group that, it, that, 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 that at that time was bigger than life. I mean, that was one of the biggest groups in country music. And why am I going here to, try to sing with you. And I knew it was a higher power than me that was driving this. And somehow I knew, even though I was going to try out, I knew I was going to be there. I, I don't know how to explain that. I just felt this feeling of this is where I'm, I'm going to be. Then all of a sudden I go from playing clubs six nights a week, four hours a night and having two daytime jobs to support my music habit to being with one of the most awarded acts in the history of country music overnight. The Statler Brothers were a safe place for me because, uh, well, the Statler Brothers—they were all about—they um, were all about God and family and their country. And then after they retired, um, I was a little bit—I was scared as to how I was going to go on. And I built this beautiful home in Virginia, and I've got—I got the home I want. I'm near my family. Uh, why don't I just uh, give up the music and just stay here? I had a conversation with God. God wanted me to continue on. And so I proceeded to do my solo career. So I was out on my tractor one day and I was had that beautiful home, like I said, sitting on the hill. And God spoke to me again and said, you've got to leave here. You give, you've got to move to Nashville and you've got to go and you've got to give all this up. The physical part of me was didn't, didn't really want to do that. But I knew the spiritual part of me, um, God wanted me to do it. And I said, whatever I do with my music, I want it to be in a positive way to help people in their lives. And so we had loaded up all the trucks and the trailers and stuff to leave uh, Virginia. And um, I just walked out on my front deck of that house looking across the valley. And all of a sudden, these words started coming to me. And the words were the song, I Believe, which has been a mainstay in my career over the last uh, 15 years that God gave me that song. And so many people have recorded it and, so, and it's affected so many people's lives, in, including mine. God works through us, and in His love for us, He works through people, and He works through, through books like this, Jesus Calling. He works through that. A friend of mine 
uh, Billy James and his wife, Tammy. But she became a chaplain, and now she's at uh, Martha Jefferson Hospital in Virginia. And before I left her house, she gave me the first Jesus Calling that that I uh, ever got to read and receive. And so it's been a, uh, I mean, it's just amazing, the words and the um, how it can make you feel, you know, that um, the message that God wants you to hear every day, it's almost like, um, you know, when you, you could say a prayer and say, God, what do you want to tell me today? And you can just read this Jesus calling and it's just like him talking right to you. Uh, and for them giving me that, it's really helped me along the way for devotionals and things like that. Um, you know, uh, how important it is that, uh, we let Jesus have our lives and realize what he wants us to do, uh, that we get fed, uh, through it all. Uh, so we all work together to accomplish the goal that God wants us to accomplish. And that's to help the downtrodden and the people of this world who need to hear about him. God and country is my newest project. We just did a, a, C, a CD of, of that music. Ben Isaacs produced it through Bill Gaither Music. And we all got together and said, what do you think What do you think we should do? And we all agreed on, let's do a project called God and Country, because if ever our country needs God, it's today. There's so much division out there in the world. All you got to do is turn your TV on and see uh, what's going on. There's uh it seems to be a lot of shouting back and forth and a lot of hatred toward one another in a lot of ways. And uh, we tend to lose God uh, in all that. There's songs in there called More Than a Name on a Wall, which I wrote years ago. Uh, and a new song called Meet Me at Arlington on there, which is about a gold star mother who'd lost a son and who um, saw some guy ranting and raving on the news about putting down our soldiers and putting down our country and, and she was asked how she felt, and this song um, came to mind from my my good friend that lives happened to live next door to me, Mr. Dave Clark, who's a great Christian songwriter. Uh, he came over and told me about that, and and he told me what she said. And then we saw the news clip where she said, "I wish this man could meet me at Arlington, and then I could tell him how I feel, um, and introduce him to my child, and tell him about him, and he would know. Maybe he would know." and understand why I feel the way I feel and why it's so important that we acknowledge our soldiers and acknowledge them and thank them for what they did for us. They gave, they sacrificed their lives for us. Well, there's a stone for every soldier and the reason that you're free to say the things you want to say and believe what you And so uh, I got caught up in it, and it was emotional to me. When you hear me singing in this project, you can see, you can hear. I mean, I, I started crying in this thing, and I almost couldn't continue on when I, I got to uh, a song called It's No Secret What God Can Do, an old Stuart Hamlin song that, that I recorded in there because my right before the Statler Brothers hired me, it was Thanksgiving 1981, I, I was... Uh, I, the night before Thanksgiving, I went to a jam session and Lou DeWitt happened to be there of the Statler Brothers who heard me sing that night. These are God things that just happened to lead me to where I'm at today. He heard me sing that night and I went to my mom's the next day, told her I'd met 
uh, Lou DeWitt that night. And, and I felt like something good was going to happen in my life because she was really um, upset because I walked through the door and I was sick. I'd been anemic and I'd been working really hard. And um, I got there early because I wanted to get some of that good food of mom's. And, and uh, we sat and talked and my mother came over and put her hands on my shoulders and she started singing, it is no secret what God can do. And at that moment, I sat there and I broke down and I cried. And I felt like God and my mom were trying to give me a message of, son, yeah, some good things are going to happen to you, but also some things are going to happen in life that you're going to need strength. And you're going to need some stability. So remember that God is where you need to turn to and give your life because um, he's going to be the one that's going to help you through all this because it is no secret what God can do. And so when I started singing that song in the studio that day, I broke down because I realized how powerful that moment was. I realized how powerful that song was to me. And when I sat back and listened to that CD, um, I could hear the emotion and I could hear uh, what it meant to me to be American, to have grown up in a place called the United States of America and live my life uh, in a family like I grew up in. We're not, it's number seven of nine children and um, saw the hardships, but also saw the anchor of my family and my faith and my life was in Christ through my mama's prayers and her believing in Christ and how important it was that we put God first in our hearts and in our whole lives. Jimmy's new CD, God and Country, is available to order online or at Cracker Barrel Old Country stores. We'll be right back with our next guest, U.S. Army veteran and Dragon Boat Racing champion, Jess Key, after a brief message from Jesus Calling. During times of transition and unknown next steps, it's more important than ever to cling to the promises of God and to tune your ear to what Jesus has to say. Jesus Calling for Graduates is an encouraging compilation of 150 devotions from Sarah Young's brand. Grads will find topics such as discerning God's will, self-worth, trust, support, and much more. Jesus Calling for Graduates is perfect for both high school and college graduates as they embark on the next chapter. Look for our special custom edition of Jesus Calling for Graduates, available exclusively at faithgateway.com. Jesus Calling products are now available for a limited time at Zoolily.com. Zoolily is a unique online retailer known for their great prices on gifts, jewelry, clothing, accessories, and more. Starting July 7th, for a limited time, you can now find Jesus Calling products at Zoolily.com. Check out what they have to offer by visiting Zoolily.com. That's Z-U-L-I-L-Y.com. Now, for all the latest products from Sarah Young and Jesus Calling. Let's get back to our show. U.S. Army veteran Jess Key grew up on the island of Oahu. Jess lived in an unstable home that gave her deep trauma from the time she was a toddler. As she grew older, Jess chafed under authority and struggled to find purpose until she found a family and a sense of duty in the military and in her faith. She tells us how going to a counselor and seeking help from a mental health professional changed her life forever. My name is Jess Key. I am married. 
um, to a wonderful husband um, for about 19 years now. I'm a mom of three. I have two dogs as well. <laughs> I, I love to surf, paddle. Um, I just love being in the ocean. Um, it's my passion. I was born and raised on the island of Oahu, and both my parents were drug addicts, and they never married, so my dad left. So my mom was, you know, alone raising two toddlers on her own. Uh, and life, I would say the first seven years of my life was the most traumatic, most <laughs> scary thing you could imagine. Um, I had to endure physical, sexual, mental abuse. I struggled with, I remember just being so fearful and, and anxious all the time as a toddler. Uh, my mom was obviously dealing with her drug abuse and addictions, but I didn't know it then, but she was struggling with paranoid schizophrenia. And because of that, I, we were sent to live with my maternal grandmother. There was, I just re recall a, a big fight that happened between my grandmother and step-grandfather um, and then from that point on we were somehow removed from the home and placed in foster care so we were finally adopted so I was um, at that time I was at the age of 11 so we moved in with a wonderful adoptive family they already had you know five children of their own very well known in Hawaii uh, very, um, he was a like professional all-American wrestler. He was a paddler, surfer, just elite athlete, well-known in the community. And this is like our family now. So <laughs> it was an adjustment. And I was a natural athlete growing up. So, you know, I was always a natural a runner, athlete. You know, I like to surf, paddle. Like it was just a natural thing that was definitely a gift so when I moved to our adoptive family we got into paddling and surfing and and all these amazing water sports and I just absolutely fell in love with it um, and just being in the water for me was probably therapeutic I didn't know it then you know but um, it was therapeutic for me I loved it um, I was great at it I was also a cross-country runner so um, that was definitely a, a gift. I guess I could, you know, translate that and use this, all this energy that was within me and just put it into something positive. Things began to fall apart with the adoptive family. You know, obviously my brother and I had issues that had never been dealt with from our childhood. You know, and looking back, I didn't even know I was struggling with childhood PTSD. I had some major issues and I didn't know why. I mean, for example, um, I found out my adoptive mom was hiding letters that my great-grandmother was sending me, and this is my great-grandmother. So she was a sweet lady, was the Christian in our family, the only person that loved, showed love and affection to my brother and I. So I found out she was sending letters, and I got so furious and upset that the first thing I did as an 11-year-old was to go out and go to 7-Eleven and steal a bottle of vodka. And I got drunk that night and I never saw this. My adoptive family never did this or my foster home. Like, But it, it's just wild that I just did that naturally. So that was my first taste of alcohol. Didn't even know it. Like that was like my, my path, the same path that my mom, you know, took 
I was heading down the same path. I had no idea why. So after, uh, you know, things weren't really working out with my adoptive family, my brother and I ran away from home. We ended up in a runaway shelter in Hawaii, and it would come to the agreement that we would not return to my adoptive family. We didn't want to go back, and so the only person that would take us would be my grandmother. Um, so we, after seven years of being away from my biological family, I'm put back into that toxic environment of which I was taken from. I was taken from that environment and put right back there. So long story short, you know, I, <laughs> it's like opening Pandora's box. I, I was hanging out with the wrong crowds, you know, started dating, started drinking a lot. Um, at age 15, I was in a very toxic relationship. I grew up seeing this um, abuse and I was abused myself. So I thought it was a normal thing. Um, but the, come to think of it, I was becoming the abuser. So I would get drunk and just ballistic, uncontrollable kind of anger. If you would imagine an MMA fighter, that's the kind of rage I had inside. And I didn't know why. By the time I was a senior, I was full on alcoholic. I drank every single day of my life, barely went to school. My grandmother couldn't even take, like, get control of me. Like, she kicked me out of the house. I was homeless at one point. I had no control of my life, didn't know <laughs> what control looked like because I never had, <laughs> I never had any kind of structure in my life. So literally living in trash bag, my clothes was in trash bag. My grandmother like literally threw it in the yard and I'm like in my clothes in trash bags going from house to house, wherever I could land, you know, as a, as a 17 year old. And, you know, one night I got drunk and I, uh, attempted suicide. I was not in my right mind. I thought that was the way out. I mean, uh, clearly I had suffered so much that I, I, I didn't know how to cope. So the, my adoptive family actually found out that I attempted suicide and reached out to me and said, Jess, hey, why did you do this? We just, we want you to graduate from high school. Please just come live with us. Uh, miraculously, I graduated, um, but I was still, you know, heavily drinking and out of control. One night I was uh, leaving a party and I got into a head-on collision. You know, I was driving under the influence. And my adoptive family said, hey, you know, this isn't, this isn't acceptable. You know, you already graduated. We, we want you to either get help or you need to leave. And, and I, I couldn't help myself because I didn't know how to, you know. So what did I do? I said, fine, I'll leave. And I left. My adoptive family, 18 years old, nowhere to go. I call a friend. Um, and she, she's a few years older than me. So she's like in her twenties and I'm like just an 18 year old. And, you know, I go to her house and I didn't know it then, but her, her, um, cousin that w was a drug dealer. And so that first night I was there, I'm depressed, I have no family, no boyfriend, no nothing. I feel like my life is just a wreck. And she offers me crystal meth. I'm like, oh, okay, sure. I don't care. You know, like, what do I have to lose? So instantly I was hooked on crystal meth. And for about eight months straight, you know, I lived this life. I didn't sleep. I didn't eat. I was just high as a kite, like absolutely losing my mind. And, you know, as a kid, I, I always said to myself, I would never grow up and be like my mom. 
yet I was living that same life, choosing the same path that she did. The Army changed my life. I had so much gratitude and thankfulness. I was fully motivated, fully dedicated. Whatever my authorities or chain of command asked me to do, I'd do it. I highly respected and honored my authority and enjoyed every aspect of it. So given what the Army has done for my life, I I was all in. For one, uh, I met, I would meet my husband-to-be, Sean, um, and, you know, there was something different about him when, I, when we met. He was kind, patient, compassionate, just hilarious. He made me laugh, and it's just something that I was not used to. He was complete opposite from me. I mean, he's from Virginia. I'm from Hawaii. I had a very traumatic background. He had a pretty solid you know, family. So, you know, the truth, the saying about how opposites attract, it was definitely for my husband and I. I shared my entire story with my husband, Sean, and, you know, he knew I had, you know, some anger issues and like it was uncontrollable anger, um, especially when I would drink. I would get drunk. I would be verbally abusive to him um, and I would want to physically fight. So, I brought this very unhealthy dynamic into our relationship. We were 21 years old when we got married. Um, within the first four months of marriage, we got into this explosive fight. I like cursed him out, yelled at him uncontrollably. It, it escalated so badly that we got into a physical fight. He gets arrested in front of all of our peers in the army. He was facing felony charges, domestic violence um, charges, like you name it. He was going to be in for a long time. It was not looking good. The charges were reduced to harassment, you know, because I, you know, confess that I, I kind of caused this huge fight. And so, all you know, through it all, God worked these miraculous things out. So we had our first child. I was 23 years old, um, had another child and, you know, just started our life um, as parents. And we moved to Charleston, South Carolina, um, a place where paddling and surfing and stand-up paddleboarding is alive and thriving. It's a very coastal city, so it's absolutely stunning place to live in. Um, And a friend of mine actually invited me to try dragon boating for the first time and I had no idea what that was because I grew up in Hawaii and I paddled on an outrigger canoe which is a six-person canoe with an outrigger but when I got in that boat it was like an awakening it was like everything that I know that's deep down in my soul like it was just came alive I was so happy I was you know fulfilled I was doing the things that I that set me free as an 11-year-old, you know, whenever I was living with my adoptive family. And it was something I truly believe I was born to do. I attended a dragon boat clinic. The coach that was leading this clinic, he was from the national dragon boat team. And one day he just messaged me and said, hey, are you trying out for the U.S. national dragon boat team? And I said, what? What? What is that? I don't even know what that is. And he's like, yeah, they're going to China. You're going to represent the U.S. national dragon, you know, the United States of America. You know, you should do it. And I was like, wait a minute, should I? You know, I mean, 
I only had eight months experience in dragon boating. I was like, yeah, I'll do it. You know, if anyone challenge, if anyone could take a challenge, that would, that's me. I can take any mental, physical challenge you can think of. I can do it because I've done that my whole life. So I paddled with some of the most elite paddlers in the United States. We come from all over the United States and we all come and, and meet up and race. We raced in China and I can tell you that when we were lining up for our gold medal race, right, we were coming up on, a, we had to do a 1000 meter race. So we, as we were lining up, there was like a beam of light that sh was shining down from heaven. And shortly after that, I, I said a prayer. I said, God, just let it just be with us. Give us the strength to, to endure this race. Just, you know, I said, you know, silent, a silent prayer for my team. And after that race, we won gold. It was absolutely amazing. You're on this high, you know, you compete at, at a world level, and then I come home and it's, you know, I, I didn't even know it then, but I was, I was a little bit of depressed. I started like retreating. Um, I was having a little bit of communication issues with my husband. And from that point, he wanted to see a counselor, a Christian counselor. He kind of said, Jess, have you ever thought about seeing a psychiatrist? And I, I remember going to my car and bawling in tears. I knew something wasn't right. And so I, I decided to seek help from a professional. And it was at that point that I realized that I, I had severe childhood PTSD. I was still living in constant fear. I had anxiety. I feared for my children's life all the time. And after eight months, I can truly say I'm walking in freedom. Um, and I'm so thankful that this pastor... Um, just reached out to me on a, on a personal level and said, you know, you should get help. I'm a living example that God can take a person with all of this trauma and turn it into something beautiful. Like your story is not over, you know, it, it's, it's just beginning. Like God will use any circumstance, whether it be good or bad, and he'll turn it into something beautiful. My first experience with the Jesus Calling, a friend of mine, um, we kind of inherited their library. I just remember seeing this little cute little book, and it was a devotional, really super simple um, to read. You know, I didn't have an earthly father, so when I would read this book, I felt like, like God was speaking to me in a personal level, like something that I could understand. And like my Abba, my Heavenly Father, you know, it was something different. It wasn't complicated. It was really simple. And um, I really appreciated that. I would love to read the Jesus Calling passage from February 27th. It says, Keep your eyes on me. Waves of adversity are washing over you, and you feel tempted to give up. As your circumstances consume more and more of your attention, you are losing sight of me, yet I'm always with you, holding you by your right hand. I'm fully aware of your situation, and I will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able to bear. Your gravest danger is worrying about tomorrow. If you try to carry tomorrow's burdens today, you will stagger under the load and eventually fall flat. You must discipline yourself to live within the boundaries of today. It is in the present moment that I walk close to you. 
helping you carry your burdens. Keep your focus on my presence in the present. Wow. (laughs) I absolutely love this. This is my life. (laughs) The waves of adversity crashed over me all throughout life. But yet God is simply saying, keep your focus on my present and be in the present. I can't say anything more (laughs) than that. It's so beautiful. Sometimes you might not realize it, so you might have to be that hero for the person, your friend, your neighbor, your coworker. You might have to be that hero and say, hey, have you you know, thought about getting help for this and that, or maybe just listening, be, be a listener and be that, that, that ear for someone who is terrified to, to even step out of their comfort zone. It's never too late to get help. You're going to have to face those demons, quote unquote, like it's a real thing or it will follow you the rest of your life and it will be a constant battle. You can find freedom, um, once and for all. And it's through Christ. I mean, like he is, he is our freedom. He is our hope. He is our, he is our everything. You just got to trust in that. If you or a loved one are experiencing thoughts of suicide, there is free and confidential support for you. Call the National Suicide Hotline at 1-800-273-8255 to receive prevention and crisis resources. That's 1-800-273-8255. If you'd like to hear more stories about everyday heroes and the importance of serving others, check out our interview with country music artist Neil McCoy and Chick-fil-A Foundation Executive Director and Air Force veteran Rodney D. Bullard. Next time on the Jesus Calling Podcast, we talk with pastor and writer Mark Eaton. When we met up with Mark at the ranch he shares with his wife, Susie McIntyre Eaton, he reflected on the way his faith has evolved and the way he sees Christ in his life today. I don't see life so black and white anymore. I I see the nuances and the subtleties and how Christ wants to enter those places of faith. If life is black and white, I don't need faith. Do you love hearing these stories of faith weekly from people like you whose lives have been changed by a closer walk with God? Then be sure to subscribe to the Jesus Calling Stories of Faith podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you like what you're hearing, leave us a review so that we can reach others with these inspirational stories. And you can also see these interviews on video as part of our original web series, with a new interview premiering every other Sunday on Facebook Live. Find previously broadcast interviews on our YouTube channel, on IGTV, or on JesusCalling.com slash video.